Welcome to Victory Church's online podcast library. We hope you enjoy this message today. Paris remembered her third scenario. Actually, it was the first scenario. It was um, Philip, and he, he said, you know, even if we had, even if we had eight-month wages, you know, even if we had you know, $25,000 or whatever it was, $30,000, we still couldn't fix this. Even if we could work for eight months, we still couldn't fix this. You know, so he was calculating and maybe you've calculated and calculated and calculated and calculated and calculated and it doesn't add up. (laughs) That's why we need God's math. That's why we need God's math. So that's where... I'm going to just, just continue where I left off this morning. John 6, 11, God's math. He he's, he's lives in a different realm than we'd live. Amen. He lives in a realm where two plus two never equals four. It just, it just doesn't. He took the loaves, and when he'd given thanks, that's, that's what we're going to just start on tonight, when he gave thanks. Just lift your hands and say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father. He lifted up. He took the bread. He lifted up and said, thank you, Lord. And so he distributed. Then he distributed to the disciples and the disciples to them that were set down and likewise of the fishes as much as they would. This miracle, this miracle is loaded with revelation beginning with the simplicity of the prayer of Jesus. Yeah, you push the off button, Dan. There you go. (laughs) This miracle is loaded with revelation, beginning with the simplicity of the prayer of Jesus. Wow. Luke said he simply took the loaves and gave thanks. This must have appeared at first glance is quite foolish. He was giving thanks for what? A little boy, a little girl's lunch? There's really nothing here. Why am I, what am I thanking for? This is not thankworthy. There's not enough here to deal with this circumstance. He didn't really think this lunch was the answer to the problem, did he? Why was he giving thanks? Well, Matthew Henry says, it was done, it was done, this miracle was done with thanksgiving. He gave thanks. We ought to give thanks to God for, for food, for it is his mercy to have it. We have it from the hand of God and must receive it with thanksgiving. This is the sweetness of our creature conference that we will furnish, that he will furnish us with matter and give us occasion for that excellent duty of thanksgiving. Though our provision be coarse and scanty. Though your provision be coarse and scanty, though we may have neither plenty nor dainty, yet we must give thanks to God for what we have. In other modern day English, if you don't have a big spread, if it's not what you hoped it would be, it's not big enough, it's not good enough, it's not fancy enough, it doesn't matter, give thanks anyway. We just give thanks to the Lord. We thank him for what we have. We thank him for what we have today. We give thanks to the Lord. It might not look like much, but we thank you, Jesus. It might be just a few crackers and some relish to spread on them, but we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord. Now, here's where it gets really good. This is a, a definition. This is a word we've talked about over the years. 
This is um, from Dick Mills. He talked, this word thanks is a very powerful word. It's eucharisteo, Eucharist. It's, it, it brings into a mind the, the, the body of Christ and the death of Christ and the life of Christ to give thanks, to be grateful, to express gratitude. 11 of the 39 appearances of this word in the New Testament refer to the partaking of the Lord's Supper, while 28 occurrences describe the praise words given to the Godhead. During the second century, the Eucharist became the generic term for the Lord's Supper. Wow, so we, we are just, you know, this, it might not look by, like much, but it's nourishment for our soul. Nourishment for our soul. So let's, let's look at these two, these two takeaways. Maybe your life, maybe today you might think, well, man, I wish I, I wish I, I had a better job. I wish I had more money in the bank. I wish I had a better car. I wish I had a, a bigger house. I wish I could have more money to go on vacations. I wish I had a bigger bank account. It's just, it's just, it's just scanty. It's, it's, it's nothing. It's, it's so, it's so, it's so shabby. It's so little. You know, you know what you do? You take the little that you have. You take the little that you have and just begin to lift it up before the Lord and just begin to say, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. That's where you start. You start right there. You just start right there. You start right there. You might not have enough to start your cafe tonight. You might not have enough to start the business that's your dream tonight. But you take what you have. You plant, plant a portion of it in the work of God. You take the rest for your nourishment. And you just begin to say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Somebody say, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And then you recognize the, the miracle nature of, of this, this whole circumstance. You know, beyond uh, feed the multitudes. I always call it beyond the grave, whatever. Feed the multitudes. It's a supernatural event. I, I, you come out there. If you've never been out there July 4th, come out there this July 4th and watch miracles take place. You'll see hungry people of all kinds, not just hungry for food, but you'll see people of every stripe, every tribe, and every tongue, every circumstance, and they'll, they'll be coming. And you know what? You're going to see people's lives touched in, in just in a moment of time. It's, it's amazing how God, God meets people, God provides, he supplies, and it happens again and again and again and again. And the good news is you can get right in the middle of it. You can become part of the, you know, the, the, Jesus takes the bread and he puts it in your hands. He puts it in your hands and then you take it out and you distribute it. And watch the miracles, watch the miracles take place. Let's go on a little bit more, passing out, that's what this is about. Now, Matthew 14, he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. He took the five loaves and the two fish, and he looked up toward heaven. He blessed the food, and breaking the loaves, he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate, and they were satisfied. And they picked up what was left over of the broken pieces, 12 baskets full. There's so much for us to learn from this miracle, feeding the 5,000 with bread and fish. Like all of the miracles of Jesus, a real need was being met. People were being fed. 
Other miracles saw that, that came where the blind saw, the deaf heard, the lame walked. But each one, each miracle carried their own hidden message. The feeding of the multitudes is spilling over with divine revelation. One of the messages of this of this miracle is that what I want to talk about in this blog. The disciples distributed the bread they received from the Lord's hand. This was a picture of their calling. Not many days from now, they would be carrying the bread of life, God's word, to the nations. They had no idea the, the, the power of this miracle. They had no idea what was going to be taking place. They had no idea that, that not many days after this, they would be gone and risking their own lives, carrying the bread of life to the nations of the earth. The disciples distributed the bread that they received from the Lord's hand. Um, this, this, this is our calling as well. We are to take the bread of life, pass it out to where whoever will listen to our message. This is the only food that will satisfy hungry hearts. Now, this is an interesting quote. This is from Jerome. For all you good Catholics out there, this is from Jerome. He was um, around, he lived in Bethlehem about 300 years after Christ, he translated the Bible into the common language of his day. And here's a quote that he made about this miracle. It says, Jesus looked up to heaven that he might teach them to keep their eyes focused there. He then took in hand five loaves of bread and two fish. He broke the loaves and gave the food to the disciples. By the breaking of the bread, he makes it into a seedbed of food. For if the bread had been left intact and not pulled apart and broken into pieces, they would have been unable to feed the, crowd, the large crowds of people, the men, the women, and the children. The law with the prophets are there, therefore also pulled apart and broken into pieces. Mysteries are made manifest so that what, what, they, what, what did not feed the multitude of people in its original whole and unbroken state now feeds them in its divided state. The distributing of the bread, this distributing of the bread was at the heart of the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther translated the Bible into the common language, just like Jerome had done 1,200 years earlier. He translated the Bible into the common language of the people so they could read God's word for themselves. When you read God's word for yourself, it changes everything. This one act translating the Bible into the common language of the people so that the farmers could read it, the ordinary person could read it. Luther and his disciples began to pass out the bread of life. This is how we change the world. Taking this bread to the hungry is what our lives are all about. You know, God's words is so precious, and we, we treat it sometimes. I know all of us do. We treat it as it's so common and so ordinary. You know, I learned, you know, it, it, took, it, took, it takes time. You know, we, sometimes we're a little bit thick, a little bit thick. But we had this um, guest minister, Dick Mills, that used to come to our church maybe once, sometimes twice a year. And he'd come minister in our church. And every time he came, he would buy, he would go to the Bible bookstore. Back in those days, you didn't buy things online so much. We'd get into the car, the 
probably Monday after the meetings, and we'd drive down to the Baptist Seminary, and they had this big bookstore down there, and he'd go through the bookstore, and he'd pick out several Bible translations, and he'd, he'd, he'd purchase them and give them to me as a gift. Each year, he would do that and begin to fill my library up. Well, if you go back in the back room now, you'll find out that we actually have Dick Mills' library in, in, our, in our back office back there. 6,000 volumes back there. Every Bible translation imaginable, every commentary imaginable, every word study book imaginable. And what I began to, day after day and week after week and year after year, finally the light began to turn on in my life. The Word of God will change everything. When you begin to feast on it yourself, and that's, that was the, the message of this miracle, Jesus told them the next day, he said, you know, the, the true bread, he said, I am the bread that comes down from heaven. I am the word of the Father. Moses didn't feed you, my Father fed you. I am the word that comes down from the Father, and if anyone will take this bread and eat this bread and make it their own, their life will change. I promise you, I absolutely guarantee you, without a doubt, that if you will begin to read your Bible consistently every day for yourself, make it your daily bread. This is my daily bread. And you feast on it day after day. You start to meditate on the Psalms. You start to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. You begin to devour the epistles of Paul and you'll find this bread will begin to nourish and feed your soul. You'll become stronger and stronger and stronger in the Lord's as the word of God begins to take roots deep down on the inside of you. So this is the, the bread of life. I'm going to finish with this, this last blog that's actually called God's Math. And then we're going to lay hands and pray for people. David said, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He's Jesus was preparing a table in the wilderness in this story, in John chapter 6. David said that the Lord prepares a table for us even in the presence of our enemies, even when you're under attack, even when your world is collapsing and, and there's enemies surrounding you, the Lord will prepare a feast, a table for you, even in the wilderness. He said, you've anointed my head with oil and my cup, my cup is overflowing. I like the sound of that. Say it with me, my cup is overflowing. My cup is overflowing. So here it is. I lived as a Christian without knowing my need for his continual anointing on my life for many years. Somehow I gravitated to the place that Christianity was somehow like common math. You know, like Philip adding up eight months' salary. Common math. Two plus two equals four. I became fixated on my actions, demanding a certain response from the Lord. If I do this, then God's going to do that. Somehow, I'd forgotten about God's math. You know, the way his involvement changes everything. What am I talking about? Five loaves and two fish equal 5,000 people fed. Or maybe this, fishing all night at the right place and the right tame time equaled an empty net. One cast at his word equaled a boat sinking load of fish. What was the difference? 
It was that unseen element in God's math. It was the anointing. Charles Spurgeon says it like this, may, may we live in the daily enjoyment of this blessing, receiving a fresh anointing for every day's duties. That's what happens in your time of prayer. You're, you're drinking in this precious anointing. You have no idea what you're going to face the next day, but he does. He's, he lives in the next day. He lives in the day called eternity. There is no tomorrow or yesterday. He lives in that ever-present eternal day. He knows exactly what you're facing every moment of your natural day. And you come into his presence. And he anoints your head with oil. He prepares you and equips you for whatever it is you're going to face that day. Then he fills up your cup and he fills up your cup and he fills up your cup till it's overflowing. Every Christian, Spurgeon said, is a priest, but he cannot execute the priestly office without the anointing. Hence, we must go day by day to God, the Holy Ghost, that we may have our heads anointed with oil. A priest without oil misses, meets, misses the chief qualification for his office, and the Christian priest lacks his chief fitness for service when he's devoid of new grace from on high. My cup is running over. He had not only enough, a cup full, but more than enough, a cup which overflowed. That's the life that we can live, a cup that's overflowing. Oh, my, he anoints my head with oil. My brimming cup is overflowing. It's cracked and it, and it leaks. Uh, whenever a man may, ever, when, when, or, whereas a man may be ever so wealthy, but if he be discontented, his cup cannot run over. It's cracked and it leaks. Content is more than a kingdom. It's another word for happiness. Being satisfied with God alone. Thank you, Lord. You are more and more than enough for me. My cup is running over. John Trapp said he had, only, he, had all, he had not only a fullness of abundance, but of redundance. Everyone say redundance. Siri doesn't like the word redundance. She keeps changing it with spell check. She calls it something else. But we, we have not only a fullness of abundance, but of redundance, which means again and again and again and again, fill up my cup. He's filling up my cup every day, every day. Fill up my cup. Oh, fill up my cup. Fill up my cup. Abundance, redundance, again and again and again and again and again and again. He's anointing my head with oil. Those that have this happiness must carry their cup upright and see that it overflows into their poor brethren's emptier vessels. It overflows so we have enough to pour out, to pour out on other people that we, we come into contact with. If you're not sure about this word redundance, it may be the result of being satisfied with an empty cup for so long. We may not expect our cup to overflow because we've never known that this was even available for us. That was the life I lived for a long time. I didn't know. I didn't know I could live with an overflowing cup. 
I didn't know that that was my portion. I didn't know that was my inheritance. I didn't know that that's what was purchased for me by the precious blood of Jesus, the baptism in the Holy Ghost that continued again and again and again. I didn't know until I tasted for myself. David also had learned about God's math. He could defeat a champion warrior because of the anointing. A shepherd could become a king because of the anointing. And he could move from a cave to a palace because of the anointing. Do not get stuck in the world of two plus two equals four. God's math changes everything. Thank you, Lord. So, yeah, there was, there was no way in 1990 that we as a church could pull off Feed the multitudes. We couldn't even pay our mortgage. Impossible to throw a free food festival. It didn't add up. It did not add up. Two plus two did not equal the number that we needed to do it. But what, what do you do when God says? When God says, and that's, that was the very exact dilemma Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Peter and John and all the rest. That was the, the dilemma they found themselves in. You give them something to eat, but it doesn't add up. We can't. How can we do what we can't do? Watch and see. Just bring whatever it has you have and put it in my hands. Have you tried that yet? Have you tried that yet? Take what you have how insignificant it might appear, and put it in his hands. You might not have, like Catherine Kuhlman, you might not have much talent. Put what you have in his hands. Maybe, maybe you want to, he told you you're going to be a worship leader and you can't really sing that good. Put what you have in his hands. He told you you're going to write songs and you've never written one before. Just put what you have in his hands. He told you you're going, to be a, you're going to be a millionaire, but you don't have even two nickels to rub together yet. Well, take the one nickel that you do have and sow it as a seed and watch and see what God will do in your life. He'll do exceedingly abundantly above and beyond what you can ask or think because it's not about what you can do. It's not about what you can do. It's not about what you can do. It's about what he is and who he is and what he does. He does exceedingly, abundantly, above and beyond anything we can ask or imagine. According to his power that's at work within us. He's working in each one of us. Let's stand together tonight. Have you saved the last dance tonight for the Lord's? <laughs> Maybe that, it's, it's funny, you know, dancing is a strange cultural phenomenon. And, um, you know, people, you know, it's not like, you know, for my, let me just speak for my tradition. When I was a young Christian, and it's just like it wasn't part of our world. Dancing was not, not dancing, you know, secular music dancing was not part of our, our culture. It wasn't on our, in, our, in our world at all. It was not something we considered. But there's a pressure in the world to, to let that become part of your world. At least, well, at least, you don't ever, ever, ever do it, but at least you're going to do it. You're going to get down at your wedding at least, right? Well, why? If you don't do it any other, other time, why would you do it then? That's not who you are. 
that's not who you are. But then there's this other strange, strange cultural Christian thing that happens. It's dancing with the Lord or dancing in his presence, dancing in the spirit, moving with God. Now you might say, well, I'm not emotional. It doesn't doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you're alive, you're a lover. If you're alive, if if you're breathing, you're a lover. If you've been born again, you're a lover of God. And he's a jealous lover. (laughs) He's looking for your love. That's all it is. He's looking for your heart. My son, my daughter, give me your heart. That's all I've been after all along. Visit our website at www.victorychurchnola.com for service times and more information.